I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word as we have it in Romans chapter 8, verses 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. The Word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. One of the uh, unique aspects of our church, theologically, is uh, I believe that we can have the assurance of our faith in this life. And one of the reasons I believe that is because our salvation is accomplished by the work of the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit. Many denominations in our country deny that we can have assurance in this life because ultimately their salvation depends on them. Ultimately, my salvation depends upon God and His work for me, in me. And I trust you, you have, you have that assurance. Uh, if not, I trust perhaps I can <laughs> convince you from the text before us this very day. Uh, for us, uh, our assurance uh, is tied to our final victory because our salvation is based upon God. And in particular, in particular from the text this morning, based on the Spirit, who will see us to the end. So the Spirit assures us of victory in leading us, in confirming our adoption, and in bearing witness within us that we are sons and we are the heirs of God. Uh, and this is a uh, larger context of Book of Romans, uh, the gift of the Spirit is the answer to our battle with sin. And it is a battle to be sure. I don't minimize that in any manner whatsoever. It is a ferocious battle. Uh, but we have the Spirit. And uh, Paul has, in the previous uh, verse, uh, given us the necessity of putting uh, the dominion of sin uh, to death because uh, the dominion of sin has been toppled by Christ. Uh, and it's also a reminder that we participate in our sanctification and this great raging battle uh, because we have the Spirit. And to this great struggle, Paul pledges in verse 14, the sovereign leading of the Spirit of God. It's... Let's read again verse 14. For all who being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The verb uh, leading is uh, used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament of God leading of the children of Israel in the wilderness. And He led them in that visible way until they crossed the Jordan River. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 15, uh, He led you through the great and terrible wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water. And He brought water to you out of the rock of the flint. So, so sounds like a difficult journey, and certainly it was. I was always terrified when I was going through basic training at Fort Sill, Oklahoma, of tarantulas ending up in my sleeping bag. I mean, you'd see these monstrous spiders. Everyone would always say, here, Phil, they, don't, they won't bite you. Play with it. Yeah, thanks. Uh, give it to my uh, mate and my fox all up. Fiery serpents and scor- scorpions. Amazing. But God led them. And in this life, He leads us. Another great text that's probably my favorite to this end is Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5. Uh, God says to the nation, I've led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Now notice this provision. Your clothes have not worn out and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. God's constancy of His provision for His people. For, for us, it's intensified, is it not? Uh, because uh, the Spirit is uh, in us, leading us. The, the text is, in my own mind, also an allusion to Deuteronomy chapter 14 in verse 1, where uh, Moses says, you are the sons of God. And then what follows, very interesting, in the context of idolatry, he says, you don't, you don't do these things. You don't cut yourself. You don't uh, eat certain foods because they were the sons of God. Great, great reminder. And the church, again, this is intensified. Anytime there's a quote from the Old Testament or an allusion for the Old Testament in the New, there's a measure of intensification that goes on uh, because of the dramatic change uh, that has occurred in the coming of Christ. And, and here, the assurance of our victory is because we're being led by the Spirit. If you look at the text again, uh, I would like for you to see it as an equation, a necessary equation, like an algebraic equation or an equation in chemistry, where both sides balance out perfectly. All who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. So that everyone who is a son of God is being led by the Spirit. Sonship and the leading of the Spirit go together. There is no such thing in Paul's theology here of a son absent the Spirit. And, and, and not only is the Spirit now within us, He is leading us. The agent of the end time life uh, now and to the end is the Spirit of God. It's one of the reasons that I affirm to you that we will make it to the end. Because we're not left to our own devices. We have the Spirit who is leading us. Very interesting that the, in the Greek text, this is a present, present tense uh, the present tense uh, speaks to 
uh, linear and durative action in the present. It's very interesting to me, it's also in the passive voice, which means we are being acted upon by the Spirit of God. Uh, the present tense, of course, uh, does not engage the beginning or the ending of the work, uh, but elsewhere in the Bible, we have just that. Uh, John 3, for example. Uh, when we're born again, we are born again because the Spirit blows upon us. John chapter 1, verse 13, who are born of God. Uh, not of the will of the man or the will of the flesh, but born of God. That's the beginning of sonship. And all who are sons are being led by the Spirit. The ending, of course, is in Romans chapter 8, verse 37. All these things we overwhelmingly conquer through Him who loved us. In this context, I've, uh, Paul mentions the word suffering. How will we make it through? We will conquer because of Him who loved us. That's how we will make it through. We will overwhelmingly conquer because the Spirit who leads us. And, and Paul goes on to say, as you know, for I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers uh, nor things present nor things to come nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ. We cannot be separated. The Spirit of God will not vacate us in separation because we are sons. Now, one of my favorite uh, American theologians is uh, Benjamin Warfield. I'd like to quote him because he's most beautiful here. He says, The leading is not something peculiar to eminent saints, but common to all of God's children, the universal possession of the people of God. What he means by that, of course, is that if you if you are a son, if you've been born again, you have the Spirit who is leading you. Warfield goes on to say, and the leading is present as the very characteristic of the children of God. And this is what differentiates them from all others. That's such a beautiful quote. We're not differentiated because we're better or smarter, because we got it in some way. We are differentiated because of the great Spirit of the great God who leads us. And therefore, we conquer by the Spirit who is perpetually engaging us in movement from sin to glory. And so this tremendous battle and struggle with sin, God pledges Himself in the very agency of the Spirit. One of my, one of my favorite texts, cited often, John 6.39. Jesus says, Of all that the Father gives me, great doctrine of election. You know how that text finishes, don't you? Of all that the Father has given me, I lose none. And the Spirit of God can say the same thing. 
of all that the Son gives to me. None will be lost. I will lead them all to the end. My friend, that's assurance we can have in the present life because of the provision of the great God of heaven and the leading of the Spirit. Quoting Warfield again, the leading is not something sporadic, but something continuous affecting all operations of the Christian man's activities throughout every moment of his life. It has but one end in view, the saving from sin and the leading to holiness. And when Paul chooses this word, he is in no way forgetful of the arduous nature of the strenuous exertion on our part. But he strengthens and comforts us with the assurance that we are not to tread the path alone. Because the Spirit not only sets us in the path, but keeps us in the path and leads us through it. And Warfield, of course, is exactly right. Because of Romans chapter 8, verse 14. The sons of God are being led by the Spirit. Uh, last week I used an illustration from warfare that uh, you and I don't fight alone. Uh, in this great struggle, we, we fight with the Spirit. Uh, he is our ally. It's a coalition warfare. So work in our hearts to which God pledges the presence of the divine Spirit. Another assurance of our great salvation that we can have in this life uh, comes in verse 18. It's a confirmation of our adoption and ultimate victory. Let's look at verse 15. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. But the Holy Spirit is not the source of uh, slavery in the sense of uh, fear and that He rides us in guilt for our failures. No, He confirms that we are the adopted sons of God. And so the Holy Spirit is our confidence that we shall overcome for He will lead us to the end. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 5. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Notice, notice the reference to the Father and the Son. He predestined us to adoption. It cannot but fail to come to pass unless God fail. And that's the great point. God does not fail. So that ultimately our salvation is based upon Him. And in this struggle, we cry out, Abba, Father. It's a beautiful figure of speech whereby Paul substitutes, if you will, a cry for the cause of the cry. We're the sons of God. We get in trouble. Sometimes we sin in thought, word, and deed. Sometimes we fail. Sometimes we drift. But the Spirit of God catches us and causes us to cry out. It's one of the things that differentiates 
a child's particular parents. When your child gets in trouble, they don't call me, they call you. Because you have the better resources. And you know. And you understand. And you can provide greater comfort. And we do. We, we do get into trouble. And we cry out to our God because the Spirit of God causes us to turn, to cry out to our God and Father. So again, in this great struggle, and it is just that, uh, the Spirit of God is at work chasing us to our Heavenly Father. Uh, Galatians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, because you are sons. Because you are sons. Notice sonship. God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. So in verse 16, we we shift from the fact that the Spirit is leading us. The Spirit reminds us that we have help from a heavenly Father, heavenly parent. But now we have the assurance that the Spirit is bearing witness within us that we are the children of God. Verse 16. Bearing witness because He's leading us. Bearing witness because He is within us. It's very interesting, this uh, verb to bear witness is the compound verbal form, oftentimes in Greek. Not all the times, but oftentimes uh, a verbal form. And the compound form is uh, stressing an intensification. The simplex verb is to bear witness. You and I bear witness about Christ. We, We bear witness about who Christ is. And on and on. But the Spirit is bearing witness within us that we are children of God. In this present struggle with sin and our movement from sin to glory, the Spirit's bearing witness. It's a very subjective notion that Paul is giving to us because it's simply different. I can't tell you how he does it in my own life. How he does it with you is, I suspect, a bit different. But it's also objective. He bears witness by giving us a desire to go to church, partake of the sacraments, read the Bible, prayer, to engage the means of our great faith because the Spirit is at work. And He leads us in these things because we are the sons of God. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22 uh, Paul says that the Spirit who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. It's a great reminder here, partially of the difference between justification and sanctification. Justification, very quickly, is work of Christ for us. Had nothing to do with anything within us. But now sanctification is the work within us. The work of the Spirit of God. Leading, reminding, moving us. Great act of the sovereign grace of God. And if sons, 
Verse 17, we also have the assurance that we are the heirs of God. Studying in a class uh, this morning, uh, the doctrine of adoption, it's also a forensic term. Uh, God adopts us based upon the sovereign good pleasure of His will. And uh, we are included in His will forever. I'm not unmindful that sometimes parents get so disgusted with their children or maybe something so terrible happens uh, with their children that they uh, go to their attorney and uh, change my will. Take, take Phil Bauer's socks out. He's such a rascal. Um, God doesn't do that. doesn't have to do that because of the Spirit who is leading us from sin to glory. Working. Rascals we are, to be sure. All of us. But the Spirit is within us working continually. And never departing, never leaving, reminding us and moving us forward. Heirs. Heirs. And so all the future blessings of the end time kingdom are ours. We're in His will. If you will, it is an irrevocable will. If you will, it's an irrevocable trust. Cannot be revoked. Irrevocable. It's immutable. Subject to no change. Because God who is subject to no change does not change and He does not need to change His will. And it's also definite. And so we can have the assurance that though things may get very bad in our present circumstances in this evil world, we will go the distance, make it to the end, and enter Everlasting glory. Our glorification is as certain as the resurrection of Christ in glory and His ascension to heaven. Because He was representing us on the cross. Reminder. Great text here. One I'm sure all of you are familiar with. John chapter 14. In verse 3, the promise of our Savior. I go and prepare a place for you, and I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And because we are the sons of God, where our Savior is now, we will be also. And we shall be like Him, with Him, in the certainty of which is testified by the ministry of the Spirit in us in a continuous influence and brokenly determining a movement to the very goal of glory. And this is our precedence and prelude, the struggle of which Paul writes, if indeed we suffer with Him, in order that we might be glorified together with Him. It's a reminder that there is suffering in this life. 
Part of it is due to our struggle with sin, our fallen natures. But the world at large is a fallen world. Uh, oftentimes governments are evil and corrupt. I'd much rather be a Christian in the United States of America than a Christian in North Korea. But nonetheless, with both, the sons of God are being born along to glory. And our sonship identifies us with the Spirit, but it also identifies us with Christ. And what is Christ? A suffering servant. Because He suffered. And we are identified with Him. We will suffer too. Granted, not in the same degree and for the same reasons, but just the simple fact of identification with our Savior. In my own theology, our Savior inaugurated the Great Tribulation. It broke upon Him lightly, but in progressively intensified in unremitting fury until the cross. And all along the way, He rejected compromise in doctrine and in life. And as such, the one true Son sets before all adopted sons the path that suffering leads to glory. There are those denominations um, that believe that come to Christ and if you got the right formula, um, you'll be healed of all your diseases and, and uh, um, God will make you uh, rich materially. Um, certainly God may heal you, but He may not. Uh, Puritans used to say, ultimate healing is death because our spirits are translated to glory. But again, uh, we live in a fallen world. Uh, there are pandemics, among other things. But the Spirit is with uh, the sons of God. And there are corrupt governments that some places in the world persecute the church. Uh, we should pray for them. But it's our reminder that who knows what may happen in America. I don't know. Uh, but nonetheless, it is the reminder that because the one true Son of God suffered in our identification with Him, we will suffer as well. It doesn't save us. It's simply part of our sanctification. And I will tell you uh, in my own very small way, there's nothing like suffering to teach you good theology and to chase you to walk closely with God's great Son and Spirit. Illustration of this in Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Uh, the verb uh, leading here is, uh, is used of our Savior. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led about. Notice, led about by the Spirit in the wilderness. What was in the wilderness? Of course, it's an identification here. Christ is the true end-time Israel. Reduplication of the 40 years, but uh, with Christ, not 40 years. 
led about in the wilderness where there were fiery scorpions and serpents and hunger and uh, no water, the Spirit was with him, leading him. And so it is with us. The Spirit will lead us in like manner. And therefore, respecting suffering and all of its various forms, we are to endure in faithful witness. Because if we suffer with Him, we'll be glorified with Him. Romans chapter 8, verse 17. Revelation uh, chapter 1, verse 5. John writes, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and firstborn from the dead. It means uh, he achieved that great moniker in part because he was crucified. He went to the end. He never broke. That's not true of any of us. We break all the time. But the Spirit is moving us to glory. Moving us away from this sinful world to everlasting glory. The same moniker is, uh, is used in Revelation chapter 2, verse 13. Uh, Jesus says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my witness, my faithful one who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Well, that's the same place we live. Satan dwells. How can we make it through? Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. But we are to be faithful witnesses. And regardless of the trial, we're to be faithful to Christ. And the Spirit is moving us just to that end. It's a great reminder the importance of perseverance. Paul says in 2 Timothy chapter 2, if we endure, we shall also reign with Him. The great doctrine of sanctification is that we persevere regardless of the trial. And we can because of the Spirit who is persevering within us. And so, that is what I believe. Sad to say, quite unique in the American church. That we can have the present assurance of our victory. Because of Him who loved us and who sent to us His Holy Spirit who loses none of the sons of God in the journey to heaven. It's that great hymn. When the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. The reason why we can have the assurance is because it's not based upon really ultimately anything within us or about us, but because of the sovereign grace of God, the gift of the Son, gift of the Spirit. And that in our trials, the great Spirit will see us to 
the end of which the Father predestined us as the sons of God. Well, this morning we have another reminder of the help that uh, God gives to his sons. And uh, that is the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, is a time in which uh, we give thanks to God uh, for His faithfulness and His provision. Uh, in fact, the word Eucharist comes, uh, or gives us rather this Eucharistic service where we give thanks. Uh, in my own mind, uh, the greater reality is that the Lord's table speaks of host. Uh, Christ is the host of the table and the great hospitality that He extends to us when we come to receive the blessing of His provision uh, because His presence in His Spirit is with us in our journey to heaven. Uh, there is in the Lord's table, it's a very important reality of the sign of the bread and the wine. Uh, but the, the genius of the sacrament is not in the sign it's in what's signified by the sign. Namely, that we have all the benefits of the new covenant, the sons of God. Uh, there is, uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, a preparation uh, to partake of the sacrament. Uh, Paul uh, warns the church in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 uh, to properly discern what the sacrament was. Uh, the gift of the Son, a remembrance of what He did, uh, coming uh, repentant of any known sin, to faithfully observe the sacrament. Uh, the Westminster Shorter Catechism, question 97, what is required for the worthy receiving of the Lord's Supper? Answer, it is required of them what the word worthily partake of the Lord's Supper, that they examine themselves of their knowledge to discern the Lord's body, of their faith to feed upon Him, of their repentance, love, and new obedience, lest, coming unworthily, they eat and drink judgment to themselves. Just to compress that, it's that we come, and we come as a confessional people. We acknowledge that we're not living in some known sin for which we refuse to repent, and therefore a state of perpetual uh, disobedience. So we come trusting Christ, uh, confessing Him as our only hope. Uh, the concept of host and hospitality is found uh, beautifully for me in uh, John chapter 6 and verse 35. I'm the bread of life, Jesus says. He who comes to me shall not hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. The backdrop of that is what? The wilderness wanderings of the children of God. Where God daily provided for them manna. And when their water ran out, He provided water. There it was physical. Now it's spiritual. We apprehend Christ as food for life. Daily bread. He's the bread of life. Uh, when we uh, eat of the bread, it's a physical event, but what's signified in the event is a believing in Him, hoping in Him, 
we will live forever. And when we are thirsty, as is so often true of travelers in a wilderness, He gives us Himself as drink. And so that's the beauty of the Lord's table. John chapter 6, uh, verses 53 uh, to 58 uh, intensifies uh, just uh, this theology. Again, picks up on the words that I uh, just read. Jesus therefore said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in yourselves. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise Him up on the last day. We will get to the end because of the work of the Son and the leading of the Spirit. Uh, for some of you who are uh, visitors, uh, I would remind you that uh, our practice here at Grace Bible Church is an open communion. And what that means is if you know Christ is your Savior and you're not living in some known sin for which you are unrepentant, uh, you are invited to partake because it's not the table of Grace Bible Church, it's the table of the Lord. He is the host. You are the guest. And you're invited uh, to partake with us to enjoy His great, uh, magnificent hospitality. And hospitable He is to all of His sons. Uh, reading from uh, the Belgic uh, Confession of Faith, for the support of the spiritual and heavenly life which believers have, He has sent them a living bread which came down from heaven, namely Jesus Christ, who nourishes and sustains the spiritual life of the believers when He's eaten by them that is spiritually appropriated and received by faith. As, uh, as the bread is uh, passed to you, I um, invite you to hold it till which time we're all served, and then we will partake together. Uh, but there will be, of course, uh, a short passage of time, uh, which I would encourage you to engage the Lord in silent prayer, uh, thanksgiving, and celebration of His grace to you. And celebrate you should. In light of what He has done for you, and the Spirit is now doing in you. So let's prepare our hearts to receive the bread. Our Father, we thank Thee for the bread of heaven, for our forgiveness, for the grace that keeps us safe and bless us individually and corporally as we partake to signify that we belong to the living God. And make us full that we might go away strengthen all the more in the inner man to live for Thee and for Thy kingdom. The kingdom which is come. But the kingdom in which we also pray that it might come to rescue us from this fallen world and our fallen state. But in this state, we have the reminder in the sacrament of our gracious Savior, 
who will raise us up on the last day. And may that encourage and strengthen us to the end. Uh, And we pray in his name uh, and for his glory. Amen. As I uh, pass the cup, I remind you that in uh, the center of the service there is wine. In the periphery there is grape juice that each may partake in freedom of their own conscience or tradition. Uh, But the reminder, of course, uh, preeminent reminder is that our Savior uh, drank the cup of judgment. Because we are sons, we will never have to drink the cup of judgment. And He drank the cup to its most bitter end uh, that we might drink the cup of the new covenant that reminds us of the shedding of His blood, uh, but also that reminds us of a celebration that we can rejoice uh, because He drank that cup for us. Uh, again, as the service is passed, I ask you to hold it. Um, there's something that you need to get right before the Lord, have an occasion to do that again, but I would encourage you in your silent meditation prayer at some point to break off and uh, begin to celebrate, to rejoice, uh, because we are the forgiven sons of an eternal God through Jesus Christ. Lord, we come to drink the cup of the new covenant, inaugurated by the shedding of the blood of our gracious Savior, And we come to celebrate as such, apprehending all of the benefits of new life, uh, which includes the present reality of the Spirit leading us from sin to glory, of the confirmation of our adoption, His bearing witness within us that we are sons and heirs. And so throughout uh, the difficulties and challenges of our present life, we have the sure and certain assurance that as sons, we will come to the end of the great glory of eternal life. And may the Spirit of God bless us uh, with these truths. And as we partake of the cup, May we understand in this tangible reality of that which quenches our thirst that we have the greater reality of the Spirit and the work of the Son causing us to celebrate and reminding us of Thy presence throughout all the vagaries of life. And because of Thy work, we give Thee thanks. In the name of Christ, our only Redeemer. Amen. Uh, you're uh, in the pews. I uh, would like to thank uh, uh, you for coming with us uh, this uh, Sunday morning. Worship with us at Grace Bible Church. A couple of announcements in your bulletin. Uh, there's a financial statement uh, for um, gifts and expenditures for the last year on the bulletin board in the fellowship hall. So if you would like to uh, look at that, certainly uh, available there for you to do just that. And we will meet for prayer next Saturday here at the church at 8 a.m. So 
invite you to this very important ministry as we pray for the needs of, uh, of our church. Does anyone have something they'd like to bring to the attention of uh, God's people before we are dismissed? Well, good enough. Let's stand for concluding prayer and word of benediction. Our Father, we are profoundly grateful that we are forgiven sons, and we are also the sons of everlasting glory. And the triune God will see us to just that end. And now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus our Lord, equip you in every good thing to do His will, working in us that which is pleasing in His sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen.